Doesn't feel like it's been long But it's been two years and then some Guess I'm slow moving on And it's too Dial Back Sound is a recording studio and record label started by Drive-By Trucker's bass player, Matt Patton. The studio is run by his partner, Bronson Tew. The studio and label first showed up on my radar when Matt reached out about having one of his artists, Krista Shows, on my show for her new record. The studio was built in 2009 by Bruce Watson in Water Valley, Mississippi, and was originally a part of Fat Possum Records. But over the last few years, Matt and Bronson have been running it and recording some amazing artists. Jerry Joseph, Riddy Armin, Water Liars, Drive-By Truckers, and Jason Isbell have all worked on projects in the studio. I had a chance to chat with Matt and Bronson about the label and the studio. I hope you dig it. Cool. All right. Well, I wanted to, to just kind of start things off talking a little bit about the history of the studio. Um, I, I did some research on it online and, and found a couple different things with Fat Possum and this and that. And I was wondering if you could talk about when the studio was built and, and, and just that whole history of it. Yeah. Yeah. The studio, uh, is actually the parsonage to the church that it sits behind. Uh, you know, this is probably late 1800s. Um, it was converted from a residence, uh, to a studio in 2009 by producer Bruce Watson. He's also a co-owner over at Fat Possum. And, um, you know, our friendship with Bruce is how we started doing sessions and working here before we actually owned it. Gotcha. And so Bruce was one of the, the, the founders of Fat Possum. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, pr- producer of, uh, you know, those, those great blues records, you know, that they put out. Right. Right. All those like North Mississippi blues guys. Right. Right. Hill country stuff. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So did, was a lot of it recorded in that space or was it recorded somewhere else? Some of it was, this is, you know, this is, I think like maybe the third studio that he had, you know, I think I think this I think the first studio he had was a storage space in Oxford. Um, and then he had another one that was a, down across seven down the holler uh, called the money shot where the lion's share of that stuff was recorded. Of course, I did sessions there as well when he had that place going. Uh, but this was the last studio he had in Mississippi before he moved to Memphis to start the Delta Sonic studio. Um, so some of the, some of the stuff like for Bible, for a, not Bible entire, but a big legal mess, uh, like the, uh, the Leo Bud Welch stuff was recorded here. Um, you know, some of the, some of the, the later blues stuff that he did was recorded here for sure. And then a lot of the stuff for the, the big legal mess label was recorded here as well. Cool. Yeah. It's quite a history there. So, I ran the studio for Bruce for about five, six years before Patton got in. Patton was always here cutting sessions and playing bass and stuff on things and had started kind of helping me produce things before we bought the place too. But when, when Bruce was ready to go, um, Matt bought the building and we got all the gear and, you know, uh, just kept it going because it was too much to, to let float on. <laughs> right, right absolutely so was that in 2009 when you guys took over 2009 was when this studio opened we took over 2000 
16. Yeah, Bronson was already Bronson was already working here full time when that happened. Um, I cut. I, I probably cut my first session here in two thousand nine or ten. I was on the way. I was. I was dating my wife. I guess it would have been two thousand nine. I was dating my wife who was living here and I was on my way to town and I got a call from Bruce asking me what I, what I was doing. What project were you playing in any bands at that point? Or were you doing session work or what kind of, what were you, and what were you doing then? Yeah. You know, like my transition, my transition to Mississippi was like a time in my life where I just didn't have a whole lot going, you know, like the, my, my old band, the Dixie teens were barely playing. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of in like my old band model system was barely playing. I, I'd always kept a really full roster of projects. And it, there was been, you know, a lot of people in Oxford who knew I was going to move around uh, around the area would say things like, hey, we're going to get together and play, you know. Uh, but, you know, Bruce always talked about me coming in to do sessions and he honored that, you know, he, he always would call, you know, when I was available and we do some work together. So it was, you know, this, this place was like <laughs> almost like the majority of the plan I was doing was here all sessions for him, you know? Right. And then Bronson, when, when did you start um, uh, working it? Were you at, at the very opening of it? No, um, it was open for, in, I guess it opened in 2009, probably how long was, so the guy who worked here before me, um, he, finally lost the job here and Matt called me and said, you know, and me and Matt had just reconnected. So we hadn't seen each other in a, in a few years. And then like Matt had, was going to Athens to start playing with drive by truckers and stuff. And so he called and he's like, can you be here this weekend to run this session at Dialback?" And I'm like, absolutely. You know, I'll make it happen. He's like, well, I may be able to get you the job here, uh, running the place. But Bruce said he's not hiring a new engineer and he's just going private. Hmm. He's like, but if you really knock it out of the park, <laughs> like we, we may be able to get you in there. So, like, and that was a change for the back in band. Yeah. For that. So it's kind of all, you know, family style and they had me come in and then I left. Bruce said, you know, everything looks great. We're good to go. Stuff sounded awesome. He's like, uh, and Bruce was not on that session. He was just kind of coming in and out. And so he got, he goes, will you show these guys the studio in the morning to show them how to hook up the gear and stuff? And he's like, I'll give you 150 bucks. And I was like, sure. So I stuck around and the band set up and then the, the engineer they brought didn't know anything about the outboard gear here. So the client asked me to stay. So I stayed a couple days and then Bruce came in and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, they paid me to stay <laughs> and work on the session. And he's like, okay, uh, you want to go compare calendars? And I was like, sure. And so I was living in Athens, Georgia at the time. It was a seven hour drive. So I would come down and stay for a week or more at a time and work sessions. And then I would go home to my family for a few days and come back. And I did that, you know, until we moved here. That wow. was 2012. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of driving. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have, uh, Bronson, did you have any connections to, um, the, to, to the, the city or where it was all everything back in Athens? 
Just the studio, yeah. Okay. Um, I moved around the South a ton. Anyway, I, about every year or two, I was moving somewhere else for, you know, about 10 years or so. But when I started working here, I just like, just jumped in all the way because Bruce kept me very busy. And then I had a lot of my own sessions and stuff. And I'd already started working with Dexatines, recording them on location and stuff. So I had a mobile rig back then that was called the Recordo Van. And uh, so I could undercut any studio rate and <laughs> stay really busy down here. Yeah. So that was one of the Bruce's conditions when he hired me actually here was he said I had to decommission the recorder van. Cause he's like, you could easily use my studio for two days and then undercut the shit out of me, <laughs> you know, and like finish the record in the van. So when did you guys start up dial back sound and, um, and, and start recording together and, and how did you guys meet and then like become a, a partnership? Yeah. You know, uh, we kind of met around the, uh, the music scene in Tuscaloosa 20 or more years ago huh. you know, when, when Bronson was a teenager and I was in my very early twenties and, you know, we were, either getting in or sneaking into a club called the, the Chucker. Yeah, there you go. In Tuscaloosa. Nice. <laughs> um, and playing punk rock shows and going to shows. And, you know, we were kind of intense uh, co-conspirators, you know, in those days. Uh, we had some cohorts in a collective called 600 Studios. And they were making a go at, uh, you know, running in all ages venue uh, doing house shows um running a record label and running a studio um so, so you know this very exciting sort of uh green period in our young lives you know we were trying to get caught up you know in sort of what we're caught up in now you know right and those guys were kind of the dudes that we are now you know like they were facilitating and and really trying to make a go in Tuscaloosa. And yeah, like you're saying, man, it was exciting, you know, time, like a lot of killer shows and great bands out there and stuff too, for a small, you know, small place, small city, but, uh, you know, boom in college town for sure, but it's not all punk rockers, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as I, got close, as I got closer to like 30, I sort of started to burn out and withdraw a little bit from so much of the scene. And that's, that's kind of, when we lost touch, I, I kind of had to rest up for a minute, you know. <laughs> I think the last time I saw Bronson was at a house party in Auburn. Uh, and it was like, you know, handful of people there. Um, and you could have just kind of put a fork in me at that point. I, I just needed a break. <laughs> right. I understand that. Yeah, it can be exhausting for sure. So then, um, uh, what year did you guys get uh, Dialback uh, going? Well, Dialback was the original name that Bruce named it, you know, in 2009. And then in 2012, we assumed that identity in, in this space. Gotcha. And then what about the the label? Um, was that, does it all kind of connected together the whole time? Or I think it's just like I told somebody the other day that I, that I do the things that I do out of hatred and spite, you know, it's like I, <laughs> I really just get so fed up with, you know, trying to hustle things with other labels, uh, you know, uh, like the latest thing I'm doing is, is, is booking bands because I got so tired of trying to chase booking agents for our, 
for our artists, you know, so I'm starting to do that. Um, you know, uh, while the truckers are on tour around the nation, um, I'm taking our records into shops and meeting with them personally because I'm frustrated waiting on the right distribution to show up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so that's, that's kind of, uh, I always thought, you know, we, we, if we had our own, you know, that's, that's usually what occurs to me first, you know, that uh-huh. DIY sort of thing. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, and plus another reason too, is like, if you think back to, you know, record stores, we used to go to skate spots, uh, radio stations, beloved bars like the chucker you know this place those places they get in trouble and they go by the wayside and there's not much you can do about it because you're young and you're trying to hustle when you're you know but by the time this opportunity came up i was older you know and able to do a little something about you know maybe making sure that it stayed here uh, if this place went away my connection to the town would be a lot looser you know um, this place being here is a big it's a big deal for, for us, you know? So absolutely. Right. So who are some of the, um, the first projects that you guys started to, uh, to record there and, and, uh, work on the label with. It kind of in the, um, especially with the label thing, we, we started recording some bands that had really tight budgets, but they were touring hard and we thought we would make a record with them and try to get them placed with a label and no one would bite, we're burning time. It's really without something happening for the band to get some momentum going, you got about six months and everybody's going to split, you know? So we're just like, it's precious little time. And so we were working with this band young Valley and Matt was like, I'll put it out, you know? And then he's like, what should we call the label? You know? And I was like, I don't know, man. And maybe it's smart just to push one rock up the hill, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll back sound. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you it know? works, and that's what I'm calling the agency as well. You know, so it's just like, you know, it's just you get tired of uh, you get tired of waiting on success, so you just kind of make your own. You know, it's yeah, you know, it's it's like as as long as you can keep it in existence and moving a little bit forward, it's that's successful to me. You know, it's For of sure. course the big payoff would be nice. You know, but sure. <laughs> you know, it's just like I, I get frustrated though because I see great bands come through here that are working hard, and then you can't get, you can't flag any attention for them, and they can't get any attention. So you just naturally, me, I just start wanting to push it myself, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm not here every day like Bonson is, you know. Unless I'm in here producing a record, I'm really not here, you know. So I have lots of time at home. I have lots of time on the road that I can work these things, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And it's really grown legs surprisingly fast. And it's not, it didn't grow legs. You, you made them, but, <laughs> but you know, it was, uh, I guess those like early projects, we had Pope Paul and the illegals from their Santa Ana band, which, their bass player, John Kavine just moved here and is playing with Jimbo Mathis and working at the studio with, with us when he's home. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had kind of a pilgrimage of, of new folks uh, coming from all over 
our, the guy beach also who's we're expanding the studio right now and um building a b room in the front mm-hmm. so it's like beach will beach is the guy's name b-e-a-c-h but uh, <laughs> he's going to be mixing some things and assisting me in here and uh he came in he's a cali transplant as well and uh you know we haven't done a lot of local a ton of local business either it's like because there were, there's always been studios that let the local guys work for free or people were doing a lot of things on their own. So, you know, we've mixed some things for people. We've done a few things like that, mm-hmm. but it's mostly they're like touring acts, you know, that we make contacts through, you know, being in the game for so long. Right. Uh, you know, like Matt's, Matt's homies come in and, my friends come in and it's, it's always been pretty word of mouth, pretty private, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the label actually has started to feed that as well. Cause we have, we can actually offer something to some of these bands that like, we just did this thing with uh, Thelma and the sleaze. And I think a lot of the attraction was that we could either get her hooked up with the good label or we could, put it out and distribute it and we knew we could sell out of her vinyl quickly and all that and it's like you know it's cool to be able to invest in those kind of projects together yeah at this stage absolutely so is there a house band um uh, or, or people who come back often or is it pretty much just um uh, touring bands that are coming through and you're recording them um and re- recording all those musicians we play on most thing most singer songwriters who come in it's some bastardization of of us um if i play drums on five things i i will hire a drummer instead uh because it starts to get you know a little too similar or if it's the just not my style you know like punk or country or soul that's all i i do so <laughs> but matt plays bass on a lot of the stuff and guitar and really one of our things too is background vocals we sing we can do that married cousin thing really well. So yeah. We both grew up with BG's thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we both grew up in Pentecostal churches. So uh-huh. we've been singing since always. Huh. Yeah. So there's, you know, and there's, there's people we call on a lot, you know, like John Kavine, he was talking about playing bass. He's here playing bass a lot. Um, there's people doing a uh, remote work from their own studio and, and sending things in that we reamp here and mix in, you know, um, and Jay from truckers, Jay Gonzalez from drive by truckers plays keys on a lot of our stuff and, um, beach that just started working here is a great guitar player and can sing as well. And, um, yeah, I challenge anybody to find better back and vocals than we can scratch up around here. No doubt. <laughs> and AJ from Sarah Tones is usually our third when we bring when we come in on background vocals these days. So she's an incredible singer and uh they made their first record here um because they signed a fat possum and did the record here. And uh you know, she's still around, still helps us with things like she's helping us redecorate and stuff right now as well because we're trying to make the the apartment a little more appealing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> bring up the ambiance for our female clientele, especially. Uh, we do have an apartment. <laughs> it, is, it is sort of residential here, and that there is a, an efficiency out back. Um, that's. I mean, I would have thought it was nice when I was coming up. You know, a man. 
Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it's just like, it's a little frat boy, you know? Right. So AJ is helping us spruce it up. <laughs> <laughs> now, so is there like a, a property with like multiple buildings on it or is that, how, how does that whole thing work? Yeah, it's a house. And then there's, um, there's a couple of really nice, uh, nice sized, uh, storage buildings outside, uh, that are in good shape. And so our plan for the first one is, uh, is studio B that beach is kind of overseeing right now. Um, you know, and that'll be an overdub and mix room, which is really going to help out with, with time management around here, because yeah. you won't have to wait to mix something while you're tracking, you know, one engineer can be mixing or overdubbing while a new session is going on for tracking in here, you know, and I mix by hand. So if I've got a mix up on the board, like until everybody high fives on it and calls me and says, we're good, it's stuck on the board. So it's, it's a bit arcane in 2021 to be doing it that way, but it's just the way that we do it. And we don't like infinite redos here. That's not part of, you know, we're not going to change five things by 0.5 DB over the course of a month when we mix things. It's like, we, we got to all go hell. Yeah. And you know, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, (laughs) it's like Johnny Mitchell wasn't riding around in her car and in her living room and like, you know, on her, brother's cell phone when she made blue trying to make minor little adjustments to every piece of technology you know that record is a thing of beauty that sounded great in the studio and still sounds great i had a friend tell me (laughs) one time he asked for me to make some changes because we do stems on some things just because there's so many moving pieces we go okay we want to we want to be able to adjust this one but like my friend told me uh I think we need to bring up the vocals on this part and song and whatever. And I'm like, I think they're sitting great, man. Like we've been high fiving on this for two months. And he's like, well, I was driving on the road, listening to it and showing it to my wife the other day. And she had, she had to catch a phone call. And so I turned it way down. And when I turned it way down, I couldn't hear the vocal like at all. And I'm like, with the volume way down with her on the phone while you're driving on the highway in Atlanta, you couldn't hear the vocal and I got to go fix that. Shit. Like, give me a break, dude. Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, that's, that's what, that's where we are though. You know, all the classic record. records that you love and people talk about, they didn't have access to anything like that. No, man. You know, we, we're, it's, 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 it's giving people way too much, yeah. you know, to fiddle with. No doubt. So, you know, I think your gut instinct when you're here is usually right. Yeah. Yeah, we're rolling with it anyway, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You got to make a decision and just go, you know. Hell yeah. Make a decision. Yeah. (laughs) I feel that. I understand. Yeah, that's the that's the 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 pull of technology is it's just infinite redos on on everything, not just music. You know, there's all kinds of different things you can always. You just have to tell yourself like it's done. It's just move forward. No doubt. You know, make make lots of records. Don't spend so much time worried about the right now. You know how you you know. It's just 
make lots of records, figure it out. That's one of the biggest things with producing bands too, is that I think the big job is getting the vocalists used to how they sound and to embrace their, their flaws in a sense. Cause you know, my favorite singers can't sing. It's like Lou Reed and, and, uh, they do sing. Yeah, they sing, <laughs> they, you know, and they confidently sing, <laughs> you know, but it's like, that's my favorite stuff. It's like Iggy and Lou. And I think we specialize in a little stuff, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I like that. That's a punk rock thing. You know, I, you know, even like, like, say like the truckers, like, um, both the singers don't, they have like not really traditionally, you know, amazing voices, you know, but, but it's yeah, cool. Amazing. It has character, yeah, yeah. you know? And that's, I think yeah. it's what us fans love about it. You know? You yeah. hear some character. I mean, Cooley's like, you know, this backwoods Charlie Rich. And then, I mean, Patterson's got two or three different voices going on in there at once, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like all at once, they're all going on. There's there's other things trying to wheeze out, you know? <laughs> That's amazing to me, you know? Oh, yeah. All the years of singing through PVPAs mm-hmm. makes you have to cut, you yeah. know? Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, I really like the, uh, the Jerry Joseph project and w- was that recorded in, in that space? It was. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about that one, how Owen came to be and, and what the recording process was like. Cause I thought that album was just fantastic. Yeah. Just, uh, basically, uh, Patterson wanting to come and, and check this place out and, 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 you know, it's just like you have somebody living, you know, that far out. They're not just going to come check the place out. They're going to wait till there's a project, you know? So, um, he was able to talk Jerry into coming out here, uh, and working on the record here. Um, and I, I thought it, you know, and having, you know, all the, all the truckers pretty much came out here to, to back it up too, you know? Um, and, um, I'd never really met Jerry before, you know, seen him play a couple of times. But um, he yeah. is the realest motherfucker I may have ever met. <laughs> like he he's he tells you what's up, and we had a really in, incredible time making that. It was that the vibes were incredible, man. And like Patterson was in there working with Jerry on on things, and Patton would be in here, you know, kind of powwowing with the band, like how they were gonna where they were going to sit and who pops when and all that. And they just like, just go in and rock, you know, but you know, it's like, uh, there, there is there, I'm sure there was a little reluctance on everybody's part, you know, because this is, you know, Mississippi and with all of that reputation and everything, you know, <laughs> so it's like, it was a lot of persistence, you know, being in Patterson's ear, being in the band's ear about, wanting to come out here and do a project together, you know, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, the stars aligned, that that was, that was the, the first, what I hope was the first minute, you know, um, the lockdowns obviously made it a challenge, but, uh, I'm ready to, to do more, you know, with them out here. Absolutely. So how, how long was that process? Is it about a, a, a week, week and a half or so? Maybe a week. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it's like the truckers usually maybe work a couple of weeks on a record, but this, this was quicker. 
Yeah, I think we had five days and a, a listen and chill day on the back, you know, where we just had the bonfire and ate good and listened to everything real good and made sure it was popping. But the band had been playing a bunch, you know, it was kind of like the tail end of like American band tour days when we were coming in. So we were, we were tight, you know, ready to go whether or not we need the songs or not, you know, yeah. we were ready to play with one another. <laughs> All synced up. Yeah. So it happened pretty quick. You know, um, I remember um, when we did a, uh, one note from that session that I'll never forget is uh, we got ready to record um, Dead Confederate. And um, we had never heard the demo of the song. And he was wanting, uh, Patterson was wanting Jerry to to play the song for everybody so we could get a sense of what it was, figure out what instrumentation we needed, uh, you know, just kind of figure out uh, an approach for the song. And so Jerry sat here with no microphone in this room and played that song and it made everybody's hair stand up. And it was that feeling like in the back of your mind, like I wish we were rolling tape on this, you know, cause it was so good uh, and powerful. Yeah. And, you know, then it was over and it was like, Oh wow, that really doesn't need anything. You know, it just needs his acoustic and, and vocal. But I think we just missed the take, you know, uh, I think the demo was it. Uh, but I shit you not, he got in there 10 minutes later and did it again. And it might've even been better, you know, <laughs> on, on record. And it's the only time I've ever seen that. Usually when you're not rolling tape on something, you really lose something, you know, yeah. but I've never seen anybody just turn around and deliver it again as good or better like that. <laughs> there was a song that Jerry was doing a solo on too, where he he's like, what guitar should I play? And I grabbed my flying B and I was like, play this guy. And I ran the chord in there and I was like, you can do it right here in front of the monitors. And so he's playing and while he's playing the solo, he turns around and he breaks a string and he, pulls the string off and he keeps playing jokingly and I am filming it and uh, he's just going around. And then later when they, when I got the mixes back, I was listening. I'm like, this is the take. This is the <laughs> one where he broke the string and I opened the video and it, it is the take. It's the way, cause he's just like, he's like kicking his leg up on the console and like, like, do it like, yeah. thrusting the guitar and shit just and kept everything he yeah. just kept it <laughs> that's awesome but that illustrates one thing it's like that's that's one way that we work we didn't end up doing the mixes for that record because they needed to get back to portland and do it there and that's one thing that can happen you know um and you know another thing like take for instance uh um a.a bondy when the devil's loose record that's a prime example of a of a musician that is acts as his own producer comes in here makes you know pretty much runs his own sessions and that turned out really great um oh yeah man and uh or like riddy Armin's record we uh, tracked it in a huge open room it was cold and uh, <laughs> kind of a dank room but we got a uh, baby grand moved up there and tuned and um just tracked all tracking there just live together to a tape machine and then we brought it back here 
and did the overdubs and mixing and everything. Hmm. So there's, there's lots of different ways that we can work, you know, and do work. Absolutely. I love that album that Riddy Armin has, has cool vibes on it. Oh man. The first time I ever heard her voice, I was like, you're a star. You're going to be a star. I was like, just people don't see you yet. It's clouds in the way or something, you know? Yeah. And like, we, we talked for about six months about it and then, you know, made it in two. And, uh, we're talking about the next one in the spring. So awesome. I'm really excited for her. She's, she deserves it. She works really hard. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much the questions I have for you. I appreciate you connecting with me. It's a it's a really cool studio and a really cool project that you guys got going on. I love the the DIY thing that you're doing with it. So, congratulations on all the on the stuff you're doing. We appreciate you, Will. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Matt and Bronson for connecting with me. Check them out at dialbacksound.com and on Instagram and Facebook. And while you're at it, like and subscribe to my show. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook as well. Until next time, everybody, have a good one.